This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Uh, we're so happy to have Noah Harpster, an alum from UCSB, come home to show his wonderful movie, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, a movie for all of us who grew up in Mr. Rogers. And I see some new Mr. Rogers fans in our audience, youngers. Uh, so, Mr. Rogers uh, was a show where a man talked in a very common demeanor and helped children deal with their feelings in a healthy way. Uh, now, a man that speaks fluent toddler is not the first protagonist one would think would make for a movie. No, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I've been working on this almost 10 years. Actually, now it's been 10 years since we started this project. Um, and it started with, uh, with my own frustrations as being a dad... Uh, I had a toddler and a newborn, and in sort of a moment of frustration, put on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and my toddler, like, turned to the television and started doing, like, windmills with Mr. Rogers. (laughs) And I was like, I called my writing partner, Mike, and I said, uh, Mr. Rogers is a warlock (laughs) who speaks toddler, and we must write about him. (laughs) And, uh, And I think... To answer your question, like realized very quickly that Fred was not a good protagonist for a sort of traditional biopic, right? He was unwaveringly awesome for 74 years, um, which doesn't really make for a good protagonist. So we started looking for people around Fred who had had their lives changed by Fred, uh, mm-hmm. of which there are many. Um, and we found, uh, we found the article by Tom Juneau in Esquire, but also found like... Uh, many other many other things. There's another journalist uh, named Tim Madigan who wrote a book called I'm Proud of You, um, which has a, basically the same story of uh, you know, getting assigned in an interview with Mr. Rogers and then him putting his life back together over the course of several years. Um, and didn't really uh, land on the Tom Juneau story until years later. Uh, we actually wrote a script prior to that without Tom. And, um, and then like years later ended up in the Fred Rogers archive, which is just this amazing place in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where they have all of these letters and emails that Fred wrote with, corresponded with, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people, and they're all in boxes categorized by, like, autism or cancer or, uh, or sometimes by people. And, we, and, and, you know, the Tom Juneau box came and was dropped right in front of us. And we have these, like, cotton gloves on. And we're going through these letters. Uh, there are 250 letters in this box that they wrote uh, over the course of five years after the interview. And one of them was a handwritten letter that Fred had sent to Tom uh, right after they met for the first time. And it was 18 pages, handwritten, both sides of the pieces of paper, so that when Tom got home... The letter would be waiting for him. I mean, it's kind of kind of amazing. <laughs> so, so how much it was based on the actual writer, and how much did you have to, you know, embellish a little or combine with other? Yeah, stories? I mean, uh, like I said, there's so many people who have had their lives changed by Fred, and 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 also over the course of ten years, you know, Micah and I, uh, we we lived lives, right? I mean, we lived a life, and um, and you spend that long on something, and it starts to become the water you're swimming in. Mm. Um, and so, like, Fred kind of became our guide through, and for me personally, like, you know, toddlers into, like, kids into, like, tweens. 
And, and you know, I, my father uh, was diagnosed with cancer and got sick and passed away over the course of writing this movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was putting a lot of that into um, the movie as well. Like, Tom Juno certainly has a very complicated relationship with his father. Um, you know, he's written a lot about his father, but um, not as complicated as the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, uh, so what concerns did Joanne Rogers have uh, with the movie <laughs> that tells the story related husband? Well, it's funny, you know... Rightly so, the Fred Rogers estate is incredibly protective of his his rights, his legacy, uh, and and so we wrote a script with not with no rights whatsoever. <laughs> we wrote a, we wrote a script uh, that we had no right to write, um, and we obviously needed the estate for the music and for the sets and the puppets and the likeness and and uh, eventually we got to uh, Bill Eisler who's, you know, uh, uh, represented in the movie, uh, who read our script, and he, he's sort of the gatekeeper of the Fred Rogers estate, and he said, um, yeah, guys, uh, he's like, you guys, uh, your script's really good, yeah, you're good writers, um, there's never going to be a Fred Rogers movie, uh, but you're, you're welcome to come out to Pittsburgh and have coffee with me if you want, but there's never going to be a movie. <laughs> And we're like, oh, okay, let's go to Pittsburgh. Uh, so we, we went out and, and just, you know, over the course of the next year and a half, just like kept gnawing at him and kind of sending him emails and calling him and checking in. And eventually, he, he sat us down with Joanne Rogers. Uh, and she, we spent probably four or four hours with her, and she asked us a lot of questions, and she told a lot of stories. And she really only had one request of us, and by request I mean a demand, um, <laughs> was that we not, uh, we not portray Fred as a saint. And that's, you know, that's in yeah. the movie. And, and, and um, Because if, if he's a saint, then uh, all of the work he put into this life and to listening and helping uh, gets negated. And it means that no one else is capable of doing it, unless you happen to be a saint. But uh, for, the, for the vast majority of us that are not saints, um, it then makes his work doable and achievable, which is a pretty complicated thing to say to two writers who were like, can we make a movie? <laughs> you know, about, and you were thinking like, uh, and, and they really gave us free reign with Fred. I mean, she ultimately opened up his closet, so all of those ties are Fred's. Oh. A lot of those clothes are Fred's. A lot of the knickknacks you see are things that she was like, yeah, just take that, take that. You can have that. Sure, have this. You know, she was like fully on board. And she's also in the movie. Mm-hmm. So when they pan around f- and during the minute of silence, that's Joanne Rogers and um, the real Bill Eisler uh, and the real Mr. McFeely. Oh. Um, they're all sort of in the, in the scenes there. So in, in any of the drafts earlier, were you balancing how much of Fred would be in the movie versus the writer? Because clearly the writer was more of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Fred have, was there any drafts where Fred was actually more in the movie or less in the movie? Was we never wrote Fred? that draft. We had that conversation. Oh. Um, but we knew just from the, re- the very initial research that we did that there wasn't a story there. And we're, mm-hmm. Mike and I are a little allergic to biopics in general. Um, there's not things we necessarily, like the soup to nuts, you know, uh, biopic is just not in our taste. So we knew that we were going to try to want to do something different. Though, I, I should say, like, the first time we pitched this, uh, we were just trying to get the story, right? Just, like, what happens to the journalist, and what's the beginning, and the middle, and the end? And we pitched it to our manager, and he was like, yeah, guys, it's really good, uh, but 
it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> it's like, uh, it feels like a Lifetime movie. And, uh, and we like got in our car and drove the hour and a half across town, you know, in traffic. And we're like, yeah, you're just a jerk. And then like, and then like halfway through the drive, he's like, yeah, he's right. It's pretty cheesy. Uh, and then, so we, on that car ride, we sort of hatched the, the, uh, the framework of the, of the show, which is that this is an episode of Fred Rogers about, you know, Lloyd, our main character. Like, it's an episode of television of, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for adults. And so that was the sort of the, the angry car ride home <laughs> was when there was hatch. So the very first drafts um, that we wrote all had, in fact, the, the first scene is almost exactly the same in the movie as it is in our first draft. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's like a couple words that are different, but, but it's almost exactly the same. Yeah, we don't often see the theme of masculine vulnerability in a movie. Uh, the concept of especially men finding a way to deal with their angers in a healthy way rather than the way we usually do. Uh, how do you go about writing this kind of theme? Because it is an interesting thing seeing about the idea of masculine vulnerability and anger issues and stuff like that. Right. I think, I, I mean, as boys into men, you, you're basically taught that one, one emotion is acceptable, right, which is anger. It's like the only thing that's okay. If you're, if you're a boy, if, if you're you know, a teenager, a man, it's like anger's okay. But um, obviously we, we have lots of feelings. Um, and I think that the reality is, is, like I said, I was struggling with all this. And Micah and I, I think, over the course of this, at some point looked at it like Fred was our guide. And so he kind of was able to just just guide that story for us. I mean, the guy has so many quotes and has written so much and was such an example in his own life that um, I think we just kind of started channeling channeling him. And again, and we had like access to the archives, so we had thousands and thousands of letters that he had written. You know, largely they're all about that, and if they're not about that, he is that in the letter, right? And it's always about the other person, really. Yeah, instead of himself. Yeah. Yeah, his, his thing, I think he says it a couple times in the movie, but he would, even if you were to try to, like, not corner him, but get him on something, you know, to, to like, to point something out, his answer would be like, you know, how like you to say that? <laughs> how, you know, how thoughtful of you to say that? And then all of a sudden, it's back on you, you know? Uh, Which Tom Hanks has been doing on the press circuit, so any, so like any any questions that he doesn't really want to answer, he's just is like, that's a really good question. What do you think? You know, it's like he started using it in his bit. Uh, Mira Hella, director who directed uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl, mm-hmm. Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm-hmm. Into Transparent. Uh, yep, we met her uh, on Transparent originally. The yeah. uh, terrific director should have been nominated twice before <laughs> and should be nominated on Monday. Uh, what did she bring to the project? What was special about, you think, her as a director that to be able to do right. this project? Um, well, a couple things. I think the first thing is that she just, you know, like I said, 10 years, right? So. She came on maybe six years into the process, and over those six years, we'd been, you know, we'd, we'd have to defend these moments in the movie that um, are hard to do when, you know, the director's not there to say, like, this is what it is. And that's, like, the opening sequence, the general frame, the minute of silence, and, uh, and the ending, which is sort of like an ambiguous-ish ending. And the first thing that she did when she came in, she was like, that conversation's over. Those things are staying next. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, yes. 
Um, and then I think, you know, she's, she's a mother and she's a, a fairly new mother. And I think that she, she brought a, a, green, a grounded reality into what parenthood feels like. I think it was very important to her. Like, she's, she has a real uh, pet peeve for when film and television, when, like, the baby's just not in the room. Where it's like, the baby's never not in the room, right? <laughs> like, if you have a kid, the baby's in the room, and they're driving you insane. And that's part of the scene. And so she, she just, like, that kind of specificity. And uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is something that she really sort of... Um, you know, pushed for, which is the scene when Lloyd sings to Gavin mm. in, in the middle of the night and just sort of that kind of connection. And that was very much the thing that she was, she was sort of latching onto. The, one of the things that I mean was the opening scene at the wedding, uh, you, you set a tone because it gets a little dark. Mm-hmm. You know, the drunk father ruining the wedding, the Lloyd's anger ruining the wedding. Uh, how did you go about writing that scene and how dark did you want to go there? Because you could have softballed that a little. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, hopefully the moment when the freeze frame is on his bloody nose mm-hmm. is a little bit of a softening. It's a little bit of a warning that something's coming. But again, like, I think, I think it has to be real. And I think that, like, if, if, like, for example, if that moment isn't earned or isn't real to Lloyd if it, or, or to you in the audience, then kind of the rest of the movie doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's the moment that starts... His journey, really, like cracking open. And actually, in, in original scripts, we had um, like an actual crack that was like haunting him. So like he would be lying in bed and he'd see a crack in the ceiling. And then he's, after he gets in the fight, the crack is following him down, you know, the hallway. And, and yeah, Mari was like, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> uh, it's just right. Uh, but, the, but the idea is the same, which is that this thing, you know, because of this moment, because Fred... Uh, is is cracking Lloyd open mm-hmm. um, and making him feel things that he doesn't necessarily want to feel. I think that that moment has to be very real. I thought the performance was amazing. His quiet anger building mm-hmm. throughout the whole picture. You, you definitely found the right actor uh, to play that part. And that's that's Mari's credit too. She f- she fought and fought for uh, for Matthew. Yeah, um, we'll learn. Uh, it was like what the guy from the Americans, a TV actor, and everyone's <laughs> she's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. right, we first meet Mr. Rogers when he's interacting with a child with cancer on the set. That's when mm-hmm. Lloyd comes to the... He has such a still and calming presence. Of course, the production crew is panicked. What was about that as you wanted to... What was that about the scene, why you want to introduce that scene to the Lloyd and to the audience as kind of the way into Fred's world? Right. Well, I think there's a couple of things. There's one, that's the truth that happened every day, multiple times a day. And it was incredibly frustrating to work for Fred mm. because... That was his priority. And they were like, we have a TV show to make today. You know, like, have a, just like they have a, a day they have to hit, just like every other TV show. But he would stop and have visitors, and he would really, like, interact on an intimate level with really anyone he encountered. Um, Bill Eisler says the, getting him across the room is the hardest thing because he would stop with every single person and have, like, a real interaction. And Bill's like, ah, we're going to miss the plane. Um, but I think also... Uh, it's it's important to know that like that uh, well I think it's it's important because Matthew in that moment Lloyd is cynical hmm. right and I think we as an audience are cynical when we start this movie this guy can't be this good there's got to be some other thing and Micah and I certainly 
were cynical when we started, um, which is like, we're going to find something, there must be something, and then the whole thing's going to fall apart. And the reality is, is that he, he, Fred was wildly consistent and that there, there, it doesn't fall apart and that it's, it's, it's rock solid. And I think in that moment, the, the real moment for me is not that he's doing this thing, which is amazing, but that, that Lloyd is going like, this is bullshit, right? Like every day, <laughs> every, it's like a make-a-wish thing, right? Like it's that, that cynicism that I think we have to establish early on so that we can chip away at it over the course of the movie. I just love the moment where the kid, you know, is, you know, banging the sword, but Mr. Rogers reached him. Yeah. That hug was so, I mean, that was the most moving thing for yeah. me because that kid, you know, what the kid's going through was horrible. And just by like, and that, that's actually from Tom's article. If you haven't read Tom Juno's article in Esquire, it's, he's a wonderful writer and you should see it. But that, that is part of it that he, he said, you know, that you must be really strong on the inside too. Mm. And the kid just like melted. And, and Tom Juno's like, oh my God, what am I in for? <laughs> Uh, I also, it was interesting when Marilyn shot, like, the, uh, the Mr. Roger Lloyd's interaction is shot with real close-up and kind of, like, mm-hmm. constantly zooming in on Matthew Reese, especially when he's getting more angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst nightmare for a man who doesn't want to confront his feelings, mm-hmm. that kind of intimacy. How, uh, how did you think Marilyn's directing captured those moments for you, the emotional moments of his, especially when he was resisting Tom? I mean, Mr. Rogers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Mari's superpower as a director is to to be in cahoots with an actor. Like she just she is an actor. She thinks like an actor, and I think she she just like narrows in on that moment and that emotion and isolates it. And Jody Lee Leipz, who's the DP, uh, who's brilliant. Uh, I think you know they just those moments are really special for me because you feel the camera coming as Fred, mm-hmm. as his feelings are coming out yeah. and Fred's coming in. It's like, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, that's. And the best example for me was the puppet scene where, you know, he didn't, Lord did not want to talk to the puppet. Right. Like he knew what it really meant. And it was so beautifully played the way Tom just made it seem like, I'm so sad I couldn't help my friend. Not that he was mad, that Lloyd was mad at him. Right. He uh, says, oh, mercy. <laughs> so was that scene always? Did was that always one of your your heartbeats? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. And I, we we a little bit stole that story. Um, do you know Susan Stamberg from like? Yeah. So she so Fred stopped. We talked about it in the movie. They stopped uh, doing the show for a little while in the late seventies. And uh, and while he stopped, he started this other thing, which was like kind of like a Oprah for grownups. It was like it was like a talk show about like divorce and you know uh, intimacy issues and like uh, parenting, but it was it was for adults. Mm-hmm. And he wanted Susan Stamberg, who is famous for being on the radio, uh, to host it. And so he he had he reached out to her and, and basically like uh, asked her to host this show, and uh, she politely declined. She was like, I'm a radio person. I don't think I'd ever be able to be on television. Um, I'm, I'm nervous even thinking about it. And she, uh, she got home uh, one day, weeks later, to an answering machine message. Uh, and she hit, she hit play. And it was like, hello, Susan. This is Daniel Tiger. <laughs> I've heard you're scared of being on television. <laughs> and he, he basically, via the phone, 
as Daniel Stripe Tiger convinced her to be the host of this show. Uh, and she did it. She went on and, and, and she hosted whatever, two seasons of it. But, <laughs> so we just took kind of that, that moment and put it into that scene. But it really did show, because, I mean, obviously Lloyd was not ready to confront any of those emotions, so it was the perfect moment for him. Yeah, also, it's ridiculous, right? (laughs) It's like, it it is a puppet in a grown man's hand. (laughs) And at some point, you're just like, this is, I can't do my job if I'm going to talk to, you know. Yeah. One of the other more darker scenes is when Lloyd abandons his family in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in that whole sequence, which it leads to, we'll talk about the hallucination sequence, Mm -hmm. but uh, what was that process? Again, did you always want to know you want to go that far? Yeah, it's tricky. Like, the... The, definitely we wanted him to abandon the family, and the, the way we'd written it originally, he was sort of being haunted by Fred before that. Mm-hmm. So he was having hallucinations of the trolley going by, and these moments kind of... So he was not fully in his right mind mm-hmm. when he left, and I think Mari made the decision to have it be more in his right mind, and more, or, or at least uh, more of a conscious decision. To do that, which makes it much darker, um, and yeah, I mean, it's harder to come back from that, you know. But I think that when a lot of the thing, a lot of the effort in the rewrite went into the scene when he comes back and confronts, you know, Andrea, and she says, you know, just because I know what you're trying to apologize, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and that like that scene had to be very real and very earned for us to even have the rest of the movie. You so know, it was more in the setup. You were, the scene itself you thought would work, but if it was long, you had to earn it to that point. Yeah, well, it, just made, it made it, like you said, much darker and much like you left me in a baby, hmm. you know, and you, have to, you don't just get to float back in and act like everything's okay, you know, which, like I said, might be a different kind of movie. I, I mean, I love the scene where he's addressing the rabbit suit in Mr. Rogers. Uh, neighborhood. Uh, what was it? So that was what was a narrative storytelling desi- a decision express the sequence. That was really the biggest fantasy sequence. Yeah, you save it for there. What was it? Yeah, I mean, there's little there's little, little things hint. that happen when he's sleeping earlier. He sort of has this, this invasion of his consciousness, and then you know he sees Fred walking by with the puppet. And I think that the idea is just that you know, by the time it got there, he's, he's having a full-on breakdown, a full-on emotional breakdown where he can't decipher, excuse me, his own feelings uh, and the feelings that Fred's making him, you know, confront, um, which it turns out are his own feelings, you know. All right, so we all going to talk about the big money scene, the restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. You broke a lot of rules. You have utter silence for a minute. Tom Hanks turns the audience, basically pulling the audience out of the movie so they're all thinking about who made us who we are which was a great Mr. Rogers movie. Um, so what were the challenges with that? Was, exactly, did, was that how you envisioned the scene originally, or what were the yeah, decisions I mean, that was, for that scene? That, that was, was in risky. the script from, kind of from the get-go, and I think that this, we really wanted to challenge, in the same way Fred challenged his television neighbors, the kids who were watching, he mm. talked to them and then waited for answers. If he asked a question, he waited for an answer. Right, and he 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 really talked to them like they were there, and that, that he called the the space between the television uh, and uh, the space between him and the children is sacred. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that moment we felt the same way. It was like we want to make sure that this is not just you know at an arm's length, but this is something that you actually are being asked to participate in. 
Um, and yeah, the challenges, the logistical challenges were everyone was like, this is never going to work <laughs> constantly for years. Um, and uh, not only did Mari defend it, she doubled down. And, you know, I think we were like, it looks in the lens and, and, and on the day, even Tom Hanks was like, we're not really going to do this, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I'll do it, but it's not going to work. And she's like, no, no, we're going to do it. And, um, and then she, held, she had him hold that gaze um, and hold that gaze longer and longer until you, uh, uh, hopefully, as a viewer, just cannot deny it. Well, she, she did a great job of pulling us out of the scene into that emotion and pulling us back to the movie. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, it, was, it was one of the most amazing directed scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, another difficult thing to t- theme to talk about is forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do in real life and translate onto screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you want to approach that in the scene where Lloyd and Dad have their drink together? You know, the alcohol scene. Because it's yeah. difficult, especially if people who deal with alcoholism, you know, children of alcoholics have that. It's a very painful thing. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't negate the pain that you feel, mm. right? And it's something that I know, you know, I did, like I said, I, did, I had a complicated relationship with my father, nothing like that, you know. Um, but I had the gift of having several conversations with him right before he passed where uh, we got to talk about things that in, you know, in 40 years we'd never talked about. Mm. And he, he, he said to me, like, Almost to himself, he's like, you know, you're, you're doing all right, right? You're doing all right? And then he'd say, your sister, your sister's doing all right too, right? And so he was like checking off in his own mind, in his own spirit, the things that he, he needed to do before he could go. And I think that in a big way, that's what that scene is. Whether Lloyd accepts it or not, Jerry has to say the thing. And, and, you know, and I think Lloyd accepts it. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that it, it's suddenly everything's great. He wasn't being gaslit, mm. right? His dad really did do those things, and his dad really did apologize. Those things are both facts. And, but it meant something to Lloyd that moment, though. Yeah. It was some kind of, like, almost making peace with the pain. Uh, yeah, or just that acknowledging that it's there, even. Mm. I mean, I don't think that... I don't feel like Lloyd went on to have like a perfectly happy life from this moment. I think he's is the thing that he's going to think about a lot, and then hopefully he went to therapy, you know, <laughs> and he talks about it, uh, or at least he's talking about it with Andrea, you know. Um, but no, I think I think it's the beginning. It's one of those moments. All right. So, what was your reaction to finding out that Chris Cooper was cast as Dad? <laughs> I mean, I'm the I'm like <laughs> such a huge Chris Cooper fan. I, I told you the story already, but but. Uh, so on the first day he was there, I went up to him and I was like, hello, Mr. Cooper. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like you're actually in one of my favorite movies ever. And like that movie really made me want to be an actor and in writing. And I, it was like a new way of telling stories. And he was like, which one? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like Lone Star, uh, the John Sayles movie. And he goes, he goes, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why that one? I've been in a lot of movies, man. <laughs> That's a weird one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that didn't go as planned. And I goes, not go as I planned. But, uh, but, uh, but the, the truth is, like, the, the, scene, um, the scene where, we, so we shot the movie, the scene where he passes away kind of already. And, and Chris is like, I wouldn't say he's a method actor, but he's not not a method actor. <laughs> you know, he's kind of living in it all day, you know, and, and so we've been shooting these scenes for a couple of days and 
we were we were about to rehearse the scene where everyone's there, right? So, like, um, when Lorraine and, and I come in and when Mr. Rogers arrives and Andrea and, and everyone's there, Dorothy's there, we're about to rehearse that scene for the next day. Uh, and that's actually the first, the first day that Tom Hanks was on set. So he wasn't, um, he wasn't working, but he was there for a photo shoot, so he was, he was in, like, full... Fred Rogers out, right? And, um, and so we're rehearsing, and I'm, I'm, we're about to rehearse, and I'm, I'm looking at, at Chris Cooper, who's like, hair is greasy, and it's matted. He's been on this bed for days, and it smells. And I'm just like, he looks, he looks like death. He looks like my dad. He looks exactly like my dad. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm like already kind of choking it, choking up, and, and like Tom Hanks knocks on the door. <laughs> he goes, Am I in the right place? Uh, and walks in as Fred, just like, because that's what he does. And I lost it. I was just like, <laughs> 10 years, Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers, my dad, <laughs> And like, and just as Mario's like, okay, are we ready to rehearse? Uh, and I was like, I only had one line. And I was just like, I'll do it tomorrow. Just, you know. So that was like a moment on set that, that I will never, ever forget. Uh, so, <laughs> so what is it like writing a part that you hope to play? It's easy. And, and, and then actually, getting, the, you know, when, yeah, when well, actually getting cast for it. Again, so like this, this takes so long. I and mean, I always am kind of writing something with me in mind. Hey, maybe I'll play that. It would be fun if I would play that. And... and um, and so I just kind of assumed I would play it. And then, like, when, when, when Mario came on, uh, you know, we'd done all the rewrites. And I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, like, I always just thought I'd play Todd. It was something I wrote for myself. I'd love to do it. She's like, okay. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, we'll have you audition. And I was like, <laughs> I was so like, what? Uh, and then I was like, oh, yeah, she's the director. She gets, and so she actually, um, I auditioned once, and then she called me, and she was like, ah, oh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> um, uh, can you audition again? <laughs> can you do it again? And so I ended up auditioning twice for that part, and then she let me do it. <laughs> she put me through the ringer. Uh, all right, so this is a question I've always had, Bernie. We, everybody knows Tom Hanks is a great actor. We've watched him for years. Uh, and we've seen his roles. We really appreciate it. Uh, but you've actually got to act with him. What makes him so good? What does he do that's unique or special, do you think? Or something that's, mm. you know, because it's just we all know it, but I just always try to remember what it is. I mean, I think there's a, a couple things, and I think it, one of them is largely unexplainable. But I think one, one thing that he does is that he listens better than anyone so he's incredibly trusting of the director. He's, tr- he's trusting them to, to watch and bring real feedback, and then he listens to that feedback, and then he does it. He, he'll say, thing, like, they'll come in, she'll come in and give the note and go, yeah, 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 watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. Watch it. Watch. This is for you. You know, he'll, like, he'll really listen, and he'll do it, and he'll really listen to the scene and the actor, um, which is surprisingly rare these days to have someone who is, as famous as he is in a scene actually listening to the other actors, um, I think is, is a large part of it. And the other thing is that I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it, there's some, there's some like 
highway that exists between his feeling in his body and his face and your eyes that I just, it just like, there's this thing, there's this, this, this like open freeway and I don't know. It just, you know, he, he has an amazing craft. He works very hard at it. He doesn't just roll in and be Tom Hanks. He works very, very hard. Yeah, because to me, the scene, I mean, the, the, the big final scene, where you're talking about death in front of a dying man, which is a very difficult scene to play. How was that for him to act in, too? Because that is a very difficult subject matter. We don't see that often. Right. Expressing death. So how did right. you guys, as the, the, the team... Uh, work on that scene together to make sure... Yeah, again, I think, like, Fred Rogers was the guide. I mean, those are Fred's words. Um, There was... there. It it didn't end up in the script or in the movie, but there was... There's an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood where Fred talks about his dog um, that dies. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of it. Mitzi. The dog's name's Mitzi. And he just like straight to camera just talks about when Mitzi's when Mitzi died and how that made him feel as a kid, and I think we all watched that, and we all like let that be kind of the guide, um, and the feeling. And by that point, like in shooting, everyone's in love with everyone, you know. <laughs> and it's like and it's like Chris Cooper's dying because he's so good that I think you just again you just listen and and let Fred and Tom be the guide. Did you always want to end? Because obviously Lloyd would not have been a big hugger of Mr. Rogers. Did you always want to end with the signing of the friends? Kind of more of a subtle, <laughs> emotional ending like that? Yeah, it's something, again, like Fred did that numerous times. He'd, 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 he'd talk about his, you know, his friend who taught him this. And like, no one knows who that person is. <laughs> that, per- that person is actually someone who came on the show in the 70s to teach him sign language. Um, but, but he would always say, like, I forget her name even, but he's like, you know, she taught me this thing. It's like, okay, who's that person? I don't know. <laughs> that is. But yeah, this, he did it a lot. Um, you know, Fred had, um, you know, think about the people who loved you into being. Um, anything mentionable is manageable. These are things, these are like Fred's commandments. They're things that he believed in and he knew worked. And he used them often. I mean, they're all over his letters. They're all over his interviews. It's things that he, he went back to because he, he believed in them Thoroughly. I also found it interesting when the last moments is his banging down on the keys mm-hmm. angrily, kind of like showing that he's not, you know, perfect. Mm-hmm. Was that intentional? Or did that, what was your moment you wanted to end on? That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, that was the whole thing. And I think, I mean, I think even until the final cut, we were still arguing about that moment with mm-hmm. people because it's like, can't we, can't it be just like, a, can't we be a little happier? And it's like, but no, the whole thing is that he's human, that he is this, and he's working at this, and he's like, he is, he is taking on people's burden, and he has yeah. to have, you know, that's funny, like that, that, and we took so many trips to Pittsburgh over the years, but on one of them, Micah and I, we talked to Bill, and we were, we were like, you know, exactly what Lloyd says, it was like, Fred took on all of these people's burden, like, for so many years, where did that go? Did he talk about that to you? You know, who did he talk to about that? And we asked Bill Eisler that question, and he's like, that's a good question. I don't know. He didn't talk to me about it. You know, he talked to Joanne about it. Mm-hmm. You should talk to Joanne. And we went to Joanne, and we said, hey, you know, 
where does this burden go? Did he talk to you about that? Where did he, where did he channel that? And she goes, that's a good question. I don't know. You should talk to Bill. He talked to Bill about that. <laughs> and like, we were like, oh, okay. So, I mean, Fred died of stomach cancer, mm. you know, and I'm no doctor. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but it's right. like to take that in, to take that energy in all the time and hold it. And to, to only be releasing it through the piano or swimming or, you know, service, prayer. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Those were the things that, that he used, but I don't, I don't know if that was enough. Uh, we're going to open up the audience. I'll get your credits, uh, questions ready. We have one more question before we do that. Let's go back in time. You were uh, you here at UCSB, theater and dance, but you also started some of our film students, if I'm not mistaken, projects. How did that experience at UCSB lead you to where you are today? How did it? Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like not only in the drama department, but like I feel like I became a person at UCSB. I feel like I still was like a like a glob of cells <laughs> before I got here, and I think that um, when I got here and I started, you know, having to interact with twenty thousand other people, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, have roommates and classmates, and the BFA program is and the drama department is incredibly rigorous, mm-hmm. and um, it's also competitive. They cut people every quarter. Um, I, f- I think that I just kind of learned how to communicate in a group. I learned how to like collaborate. I think also, I, and I think even just like the social aspects of Santa Barbara, I think are incredibly important to the career I have. I mean, so much of what I'm doing now, whether it's writing or acting or directing or producing, is collaboration and listening and trying to find a common goal together. Um, and I think that's, I think I learned all those things here. Well, we do have some questions. So, uh, since you had access to so many of Fred's uh, accoutrement, were those the real puppets that you had in the film? They were, they were not. Uh, the real puppets are in the Smithsonian. Um, but, uh, but they got to go and look at them and handle them and recreate them as close to, uh, as they could. Yeah. But again, like a lot of the things, the ties, the shoes, all these things were, were actually Fred's. Um, I am a film major here at UCSB, so thank you for, you know, proving that we can. And uh, <laughs> one of my biggest questions was, especially when it comes to giving such like an authentic version of Fred Rogers, how was it that you or the director were able to help Tom Hanks, like not only stopping Tom Hanks, but like fully step into the role as Fred Rogers? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and, and this is important to know uh, if you're going to be a filmmaker. When, you, when someone like Tom Hanks takes this job, you don't know what they're going to do until they do it. So there's no, like, auditioning Tom Hanks, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you know, in reality, um, Mari called Tom Hanks and said, do you want to do this? Uh, he read the script. He said, I do want to do it, uh, but I'm not available for a year. And by that point, it had been so long, we're like, yes. Well, wait, who cares? And then, and then he shows up, and everyone's like, what is Tom Hanks going to do? Is, it, or is Tom Hanks going to, is it going to be Forrest Gump? Is it going to be, you know, what is it going to be? Um, 
And no one really knew until you see what it is that he did, which is, I think, very grounded. It's not an impression, right? There, there are like moments where he's capturing movements or inflections, but it's still Tom Hanks, but it's still Fred Rogers. And it doesn't really look all that much like him when you see the clip at the end. You're like, oh, yeah, that's not... But somehow you hallucinate for the hour and a half, <laughs> and you think that he becomes Fred Rogers. And I think you, with someone like Tom Hanks, it's very easy because he listens, and, and Mari um, would, would, would guide him. She's saying, yeah, you know, you're, it's, it's being a little too much like Tom. It's a little bit, too, you know, it's like we need, she would keep him in very much. Uh, and that's not always true when you have somebody as famous as him in your movie. A lot of times they're like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and that's not the case with him. So it was, it was a pretty amazing uh, partnership that Mari and, and Tom Hanks found. Hi, this, this might be a, a difficult question to go after, but as a writer, I mean, as an actor, what is, how does acting inform your writing? I mean, how do, you, how do you look at it? Do you look at scenes and say, this is how I'd like to perform it? Or what, what's I mean, the influence? I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I, I think holistically, like, what is it I'd like to see? And then I kind of write acting. I just write, what does this person want? What are they trying to get? What's preventing them from getting it? And putting that, that sort of acting equation into, like, a broader question of what it is I like to see, which is really, I guess, a matter of taste is kind of what Micah and I have made uh, our writing career out <laughs> of, to be honest. Hello, uh, and thank you. Mm. Wonderful movie. Um, I'm wondering, so we know that music is so important to Mr. Rogers and to the show and to communicating with kids, and the soundtrack throughout the movie that weren't Mr. Rogers songs I think was really great, really, really impactful, really thoughtful. I'm wondering how those songs were chosen for the movie. Were they at all informed by artists that Mr. Rogers liked? Or just how, what, what did that process look like? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think the music's incredible. So there's the, there's the score, which was actually uh, done by Nate Heller, who's Mari's brother. He's, yeah. He has done all the music for all of her movies. Um, and I think he did an amazing job sort of capturing... The, the, the classic Fred Rogers themes, but using them for an emotional dynamic as well. But the songs uh, were chosen by the music supervisor, Howard Parr, and, uh, and the director, Marielle Heller. And I mean, a Nick Drake song in a movie I wrote, I'm done. <laughs> That's like a dream come true. I saw that cut and I was like, well, they'll never be able to pay. Oh my gosh, it's staying in the movie? <laughs> and the Tracy Chapman song too, I think, is... <clears throat> Really wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, he's kind of uh, Mari calls Howard her secret weapon. <laughs> we'll end our show with a, a question for you. Uh, okay, a new one actually. We are, you know, we're at a college, so we want you to be professor for a moment for all the aspiring production, screenwriting, and acting students since you do so much. Uh, what movie would you assign them to study? Something to that's just super like super not fair. <laughs> <laughs> One movie? You can do, since you've done three roles, you can, if you can do a okay. couple of them. So. Um, <sighs> what comes to you first? Uh, I would say Being There. Yeah. 
this is brutal, man. <laughs> well, why being there? What, what would it be about? I, mean, what would, I think what? being there is totally original. I think, mm. I mean, we talk about Forrest Gump. There is no Forrest Gump without being there, yeah. right? There is no, there, it just, that movie to me is so weird and so beautiful and surprising and funny and all, co- it's about something. It's just like, it's kind of all the things. Um, I think The Graduate, I think all, I think, I don't know, Godfather 2. I mean, these are obvious. <laughs> these are obvious. But I mean, for me, Harold and Maude, I think, I mean, all of that. I mean, Harold and Maude, I auditioned for the BFA here with a Harold and Maude monologue. Oh. <laughs> and they looked, they looked at me like, what Neil Simon play is that? I do not know what that is. Um, but it worked. I got in. But I, yeah, I don't know any of those sort of like, Hal Ashby mm-hmm. movies for me, just like I just uh, I just rewatched It's a Wonderful Life, which feels like it was made yesterday, yeah. um, minus some of the politics. <laughs> but like I mean I don't know. There's I mean Moonlight. I mean any I mean n- new movies. I think this year we're so spoiled with movies. Um, in general, I mean Parasite blew my mind. Uh, it was a very yeah. good year for screenplays. Uh, I didn't answer your question at all. Sorry. <laughs> Being there. Being there. It's a, well, the, the, the character of Andrea Vogel captures the main concerns the audience have in Mitch Rogers' movies. When I was worried about, please don't ruin my childhood. Yeah. So thank you for not ruining our childhoods <laughs> and coming back to UCSD. You. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.